If you're 60 years old today, there's a good chance you'll live to 100. Are you prepared? Welcome to Your Longest Life, the podcast all about exploring how we can live our best life as we age. Here's your host, Ian Thompson. Well, good morning and welcome to Your Longest Life, the podcast about living and working. Today, we're going to be talking about working perhaps uh, to 100 and beyond. The more I read about this thing, people are living longer and longer. And how's that going to impact us in our lives? And today, my guest is uh, Elizabeth Fideller. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning. How are you? I am very well, and I hope you are too. Awesome. Thank you. Yes, and I'll, I am doing great. I'm just going to read a bit about your background, and then we're going to talk about your new book, which is why I'm excited about so well, Elizabeth went to school in, for administration, planning, and social policy from Harvard University. You're a founding member of the Sloan Research Network on Aging and Work at Boston College. Fideller has written and presented extensively on aspects of the aging workforce. And prior to that, you were a research fellow at the Sloan Center. You conducted research projects on education development. Your current research on writing focuses on older women and men who choose to continue in the paid workforce beyond conventional retirement age. Correct? Absolutely right. Now you've written a few books. We're going to, today we're going to talk about aging, work, and retirement, your latest book, but you've also written a book, um, Men Still at Work, Professionals Over 60, Still on the Job, and Women Still at Work, Professionals Over 60, and Still on the Job. So you've done a lot of research on this. I have. I, what got me started was that I had a full-time research job, an educational research job, um, with EDC, Education Development Center, which was a wonderful place to work. And I was very happy there and had no thought of retiring, no plans for retirement. Anyway, when you're on soft money, which is a, was a federal grant to, to do uh, educational research, uh, when the money goes away, you either get another grant or a contract um, or that's it. that's it. And all of a sudden, uh, even though I wasn't, planning on it, there I was in my then mid-60s, um, not ready to even say the word retirement. Yeah. That was that was a, a really tough time. And I, I was applying for new jobs. And I found that uh, when you're in your mid-60s, it, when you don't have a job, it can be really tough. It still is today. And I, I would get to be a finalist, and I found that people were very interested in me and my work, but they could hire someone with um, half of my experience and half of my salary and so on. It was it got to be very discouraging. So I turned to what, of course, I knew best, which was research. And I began to, my question was, well, what are other women my age doing? That led to the book, Women Still at Work. Right. And when that first came out, um, at the time, and even today, and that's about 10 years ago, um, I found that women 65 and older were the fastest growing cohort in the labor market, not in total numbers, but in the rate of increase. Okay. So that caught my attention. And um, it has continued to this day that uh, not only women, but also older men are staying on the job much longer than anyone expected. They're living longer, they're healthier, right. and they're staying on the job. And uh, we can talk about all the nuances of that, but that's the big picture. Mm -hmm. 
And so your new book is called Aging, Work, and Retirement. Um, and this just came out like a month ago, didn't it? It's, it's very yeah, new. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. That's exciting for you. Thank you. What What's a little different about this book is that Roman and Littlefield is the press okay. for all three for all three of the books, and they're marketing this one as a textbook for graduate and undergraduate oh. courses in sociology and gerontology, psychology, business management. Um, what have I left out? Um, social work, because this this phenomenon, this trend of older workers. Um, and what, what are the implications of that? That this is important in all across all those disciplines, all those fields. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, I, I'm excited about it, about the idea that people who are graduate students and undergraduates are going to be thinking a little bit more about the, the trend that we're talking about today. So your reason for writing the book was your own personal experience. And did you have friends going through the same kind of thing or? Well, um, yes and no. I Yes, yes. It, my own experience kind of propelled me into the area of research. Um, and of course, after I finished the book on older women who were staying right. in the workforce, uh, my family gave me a, a book party. And the men who came to the book party <laughs> said, well, I'm, you know, I'm 72 and I'm still... What are, you know, what are we, the chopped liver? So you have to write a book about men. <laughs> what about us? Yeah, great. But what about us? Exactly. So you got, you nailed it. So I did the same type of research uh, because then I was going to make a comparison between men and women, older men and older women. And my focus has always been the reasons people are staying in the workforce. That's what I was trying to dig into. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to put a face to... We can talk about the statistics, but I thought it was important also to put a face to the statistics. You know, who were these people and why were they doing what I was finding that they were doing? And I did um, use a uh, research method called snowball sampling okay. so that if I sent the survey to you and you had to be at least 60 for it to do my survey and you had to be in the paid workforce much as I love volunteering and myself, okay. I was, I was uh, on the library board in our community and you know, I've, I have great respect for volunteers and done it myself uh, and still do that. Uh, but for the purpose of the survey, you had to be work in the paid workforce and you had to be 60. And if I sent the survey to you and you sent it to your brother, if you happen to have a brother or you sent it to your, your friend and then your friend sent it to another friend Okay. It, it snowballs and it Snowball. not only could go anywhere in the United States, but actually it also went out of the country as well. So my focus was people 60 and up in the paid workforce and their reasons. And I found that money was not the driving factor, even though everyone seems to assume, well, you must be yeah. working because you, you need the money and yes. you didn't plan well. And, and that's true of some people. Uh, and and uh, what I found when I looked closely at the reasons, it was something that I used an umbrella term. It was something that I called job satisfaction. I heard you say you love your work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, you could say, well, that's it. If you hate your boss and hate your colleagues and hate the work and yeah. 
whatever and whatever, you're probably not going to stay on the, on that job, in that job or, or working at all. But if you love your work and you're getting what, what I call job satisfaction, which we can call having a sense of purpose. We can call finding meaning in your work. There are, there are different interpretations of it. Um, but it comes down to this idea of job satisfaction. And some people admitted that, yeah, I'm working because I need the structure or I want to get out of the house in the morning. I need something to wake up and do. Um, there are a lot of variations. And there are people who are, um, yes, paying off a mortgage. And there are people who um, are helping grandchildren or children with college tuition or graduate school tuition. Um, there are many uh, responsibilities, a lot of family issues for everyone. Uh, a lot of people today are talking about caregiving because with many more people living longer, there's a lot of yeah. caregiving going on. That's huge. It's That's huge. a huge area. Oh. Yeah. Um, so, so there can be a lot of reasons, but mostly it boiled down to what I called loving your work and finding satisfaction in what you're doing. I would say, I want to say also that there were gender differences. Um, mm. And when older women um, who perhaps haven't put in as many years in whatever the work is that they're doing, uh, they may find themselves looking at, in this country, what we call social security. That's far right. less, far less than what a man would, would be entitled to when he get, claims his benefits. Um, and especially if you've been laid off and there have been periods of being unemployed, that, of mm -hmm. course, affects the social security. Um, so women are, let's just sum it up and say that women are often in a lesser or more vulnerable financial position as they age than men are. And, and that does come up. Now that would come up also because women are living longer than men. It's going That's to be right. even, even more mm -hmm. of, a, of an issue. Since we're all going to live longer, we're all not going to live longer together, are we? Well, I, there, this, this book... Um, because of what you're saying and, and, and because of the new, I think it's fairly new attention to these phenomena of, of longer, better health and longer life. Um, people who are younger in their 40s, let's say, or 50s, are, would be very wise to be thinking ahead Mm -hmm. to consider a lot of the things we're talking about today. They may think, oh, that's, you know, that's, that's not me. That's way in the future. But after all, everyone is aging. And there are lessons to be learned uh, from what people are experiencing now. And I assume you're going to ask me about uh, the pandemic, because that, of course, has thrown yeah. everything. That's, we can talk about that whenever you want. But that's thrown everything <laughs> okay. into, into a bit of confusion. Well, here's a question. What is the main, in your research, what's the main perception that people have of older workers? Is there one sort of, they think these older workers are just, are they taking up space in the system? We can talk about that too. The people that are 20 years, 25 years behind them, they're living longer or they're working longer. That's great. But now they're not leaving room for the next 
generation to work. You've heard that. I've heard that. What are they plugging up the pipeline? Yeah. 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 Thank you. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, There. Yes, there are what are called myths about older workers or negative stereotypes. And some of them include, oh, heck, they're going to be they're just hanging on and they're going to be leaving anyway. So why bother to invest in in professional development or training or um, training or retraining if people are just going to be leaving? So so that's a negative that that can be a barrier to somebody who wants to learn something new, say it in about technology or anything else. Um, there are uh, other negative stereotypes that involve, oh, well, they're, they're, they're going to be in poor health and it's going to cost the company more if blah, blah, blah. So there, there's that. Um, there can be stereotypes held by younger workers about older workers and, about, and by human resource professionals. The, the human resource managers that can also hold stereotyped, uh, negative stereotyped stereotypes about older workers. But actually, there's a lot of talk these days about age-friendly workplaces. And people's heads are being turned by the idea of uh, greater flexibility uh, in as far as the location. Where, where are you working? Do you, do you, can you work from home? Can mm-hmm. you work remotely? Do you, have to, do you have to be in Kansas to work for a company that happens to be based in Kansas? No, you could be any place in the world with technology today. Um, so place and time, uh, if, if you, as long as you get your work done, and if you like to work between, mm-hmm. if you like to work between 4 a.m. and 9 a.m. and then go to the gym, what difference <laughs> does it make? Yeah. As long as you get the work done, right? So there's more flexibility. Uh, this is benefiting people of all ages, not just older workers. But to come back to your question, um, the stereotypes are being debunked because there are a lot of positive stereotypes that are replacing them. And that includes um, older workers having the experience, the wisdom, the institutional knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, contrary to one negative, which is that, oh, well, they couldn't possibly know how to use a computer. That's not true today anymore. No. Of course, there are, ex- there are exceptions, but um, lots of people are working with Zoom and, and making it all work. Um, so there, there's a great uh, loyalty to the firm, um, uh, whatever I'm trying to think of all the positive ones, uh, mm-hmm. reliability, etc. cetera. Uh, contrary to the idea that older people are less healthy, in fact, they are less absentee, less days of absenteeism. So those, those, all of that can be, can be subsumed under the idea of age-ism or age discrimination. A- ageism. Yeah, ageism. So, so, so in, your, in your mind, ageism is perhaps going down? Then? Um, it's being called out more. Okay. It's being recognized more for what it is. And it's not so easy to get away with it anymore. Now, there's since 1967, there's been an, uh, an act in, in the U.S., the Age Discrimination in Employment Act, ADEA. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, been, it's been renewed and revised um, 
over the years, it's been very hard to prove age bias, whether it's in the recruitment language or the hiring process or the uh, professional development side of things or uh, retention, uh, promotion, things like that. It's very hard to prove that you've been passed over mm-hmm. or left out or shoved out the door um, because of age. Uh, but the, the law the law is there. It's just very hard to uh, have it work in one's favor. So ageism is getting a lot more attention. It's, it's still the AARP, Ameri- you, know, you know what that is? Yes, I do. AARP has done research on age discrimination and uh, most people say they, they, if they themselves haven't experienced it, they know a lot of people who have. Right. What would be the top workplace issues that someone would face today working longer? What would be, would there be the top two or three things they'd need to address or think about? Like if I'm 65 and I've decided I'm going to keep working. Well, you'd have to start with your skills, making sure your skills are up to speed, up to date. Uh, and that's not just in terms of computer technologies, but everything, you know, if you're, if you're a surgeon, obviously, or yeah. if you're an airplane pilot, if you, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of areas where you have to make sure your skills are up to speed. And there might be in some, in fewer and fewer uh, industries, there are mandatory retirement laws still in place, mm-hmm. like airplane pilots and uh, firefighters and so on. Um, but most, and some law firms, I think, are, are making people retire when, before they're ready. Um, but in higher education, you can, you can stay on for a long time, as long as you, almost as long as you want. Um, so I lost my train of thought there. That's okay. That's okay. What do you find? Um, do you find people that maybe, okay, they've hit a wall where they currently work, they've been there and they can't stay for whatever reason. So self-employment then starting mm-hmm. a new business. Did you, did your research come up with people thinking these have always wanted to do this. So I'm going to yeah take that up. The, the um, common thinking about self-employment or entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship. They're, not, they're not exactly the same thing. You can, you can be self-employed without being a, a great entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is, is making a breakthrough in some way, innovating okay. in some way. Um, you, might, you might just be running your own shop that maybe mm-hmm. your uh, father or mother ran, and that, that doesn't make you an entrepreneur, but you are self-employed. Uh, our, my grown, our grown children are self-employed. Um, there's a lot of it out there. This, the assumption is that it's all these bright young people who are doing all the innovation, but it turns out it's people in their 50s and 60s in, who are uh, the entrepreneurs in, in the greatest numbers and are, when they start something new, they're, they're persisting and they're succeeding more than any other age group which is quite fascinating. That is fascinating. Yeah, Let's talk about that more. That, is that just their determination? They're, they can see the end of the runway. I got to make this work. They're, what do well, you think it is? I think that they start off with um, not just the social capital, but I think they have some cushion, financial cushion that helps them to weather 
that can be it can, it can be a um, very risky thing to do to go off on yeah. your own. Yes, it is. And and it can be um, there can be a lot of um, frustrations and aggravations and so on. Yeah. So. I, I think it's a combination of having not just the determination and the bright ideas and the energy, because you have to have a certain amount of stamina, uh, but maybe the financial wherewithal enough to carry you through those mm-hmm. first few years until you launch whatever it, you really feel like you've launched whatever it is that you're doing. Um, backing up to what I was, what you asked me before, the, um, the I use the term age-friendly workplace. I think Older people um, not only need to keep their skills up to up to speed, but I, I wanted to add that um, sometimes there can be friction with younger workers, and it's important that that the gener- the we now have many more places that are multi generational. Uh, sometimes as many as five different generations in the wow. same in the same work force yes uh uh that so you know from the from the 20 year old up to the 83 year old or whatever uh that's that's a challenge so the intergenerational workforce is a new challenge for everybody and ageism doesn't only affect the on the older end of the spectrum there are also stereotypes about younger workers the other yeah, the other way, and there's there's supposedly their sense of entitlement. And what did your, what did your research that? find about um, different education levels? Someone who's a a lawyer that wants to keep working versus someone who's been in the service industry, and and they have to keep working longer, but for less money. It's more physically demanding. They're on their feet all day as opposed to working in an office. Did you find you answered? You answered your own question. It, okay. Education, education, and health together make all the difference. Uh, education. The people who are the uh, best educated, um, the people who have the the most advanced education and uh, highest skill levels f- seem to be faring better than someone with low levels of education, mm-hmm. low skills, um, low wage jobs, uh, physically demanding jobs as one gets to be in 60s, 70s or 80s um, become more trouble, you know, troublesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't find the people who are, the people who are still working and the people in my research, they're not doing physically demanding jobs. Although I have one fellow who, had been a hospital administrator. He actually was a top level, senior level hospital administrator. And when things, uh, when there was a turnover and there was, we won't go into all the issues around what happened at the hospital, he decided to work not only with his wife in her business, but for his wife, which was an interesting situation. It was her business and he's still doing that. He's in his eighties and he and she are, they do, uh, they restore monuments and gravestones. Oh, All, yes. Wow. And that's, that turns out, I mean, it's very unexpected. And so that's a physically demanding job for him. And he has, a, he has also younger men who help him out. 
Yeah. Um, but he's still doing that. And there, you know, there are a lot of historic cemeteries all over the country where there's a need to restore the, uh, the, the headstones and the monuments and whatever. And that's their business. It's not, not something that you would have heard about, but that's an example. I have another fellow who um, was also in what's called real estate appraisal. That's yes. something you're probably familiar with. Mm -hmm. I am. And he was hugely successful in that business. And when he retired, he became a dog massager. <laughs> really? And, <laughs> and a mediator. And sometimes okay. he's what he's mediating has to do with dog ownership. But anyway, most of those are <laughs> he's got two two completely different businesses going, and he's happy as a clam. You know, he people people um, often have dreams, and what what Nancy Schlossberg in your earlier yes. podcast called you know finding your purpose, finding your passion. Sometimes, and I found this was true with women. Uh, when when I came along, when I came out of college, um, the jobs for women tended to be uh, teaching, social work, nursing, secretarial work. And you've heard about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and yes. with her, you know, and uh, Sandra Day O'Connor and how hard it was with even with their wonderful law degrees to, to have anyone take them seriously and give them jobs. Um, so a lot of the women in my research would tell me that, well, yes, I was a teacher or I was a social worker or I was whatever. But what I always wanted to do was X. And then I finally got to do it. So why would I give that up? And that's where the that's the drive I heard from a lot of the women that when they finally succeeded in the field that that was their passion and their purpose, right? And they were at the peak of their careers in their seventies and early eighties. Why would they Why would they give that up? It's and the men would tell me that they more than the women, but the men would tell me, well, I want to make sure that whatever the field is. Uh, that we keep our standards up. And so I'm going to mentor these younger career, early career people to help them be the kind of what doctor or lawyer or whatever uh, that I'd like them to be because I believe, you know, this is such an important field that I've dedicated myself to all these years. Now, we've just started a, uh, I don't think it's just recently, but a mentor program. You mentioned the mentor program. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's certainly going to be something that people can look back and think, hey, how do I contribute still and uh, still be a vital part of of the job? Because every job does have different nuances to it, doesn't it? There's one thing about the school part, but then there's actually, you know, the day to day. How do I massage all this so that it turns into a career, both the personal side and the and my business side? I think a mentor thing is is an exciting opportunity for people. Yeah, and there's a lot of that that nobody teaches you that in graduate yeah. school or or trade school or wherever you go. You you there's a lot that you learn from the people who are one one or two or five steps ahead of you. So hard skills and soft skills. Right? Yes, soft skills. Exactly. Exactly. Um, one of the um, things that Nancy Schlossberg talked about that I thought we could piggyback on was. The, she used the word transitions. 
a lot. Mm -hmm. She was talking a lot about the psychological transitions people make as they get older. And I, I think that's a very apt word when you're thinking about working versus retirement, because what, what the, uh, the old view, the traditional view of retirement was, seemed to be uh, exiting the workforce, going cold turkey, mm-hmm. and that was permanent. It was a permanent exit, and you, one day you were working, and the next day you were retired, and that was it. It's uh, like falling off a cliff for some people. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't always work very well. There are people who get bored in retirement and who oh, yeah. aren't going to fill their lives with uh, playing golf or sitting in the rocking chair. Again, those are stereotypes, but uh, we have a new term today that's called unretirement. So there are people who retired, it, it didn't work out for them, and they're coming back to the workforce. And that is, that's, that's a whole new trend. We have people who are doing what's called phased retirement. Again, it's a type of transition um, with what's called a bridge job, bridge employment. So whatever your career job was for mm-hmm. many years, you might you might continue doing it, but but on a more part-time basis with maybe reduced responsibilities, probably for a lower salary. And you may bridge from the career job into, uh, into that new phase and then eventually retire. So th- there are different, it's a process. Instead of the cold turkey mm-hmm. permanent exit, um, it's, there's much more of an emphasis on process and transition and people There are a lot of people out there who will uh, coach you through that kind of transition. I I read in the New York Times just just yesterday uh, about a woman who's, this was in the business section uh, yesterday, joining and now working for an older crowd. And this woman has, I thought you'd you'd enjoy this because this Uh woman is, what she does kind of resonates with what you do and what you're thinking about. well, I don't know, she's, she's in, uh, I don't know, Maryland or something, and she was a nurse. And then she realized with all these older people trying to figure out what's next and, and what does it look like, um, whether they're single or married or uh, downsizing and, or, you know, all the, a lot of change. There's a lot going on and, and it can be um, a lot of people need need some coaching or some support as they go through the transitional processes. Right. So that woman actually has turned herself into one of those kinds of coaches. Oh, good for her. Yeah. And I oh, belong to a, a group called the Life Planning Network. And most of those people are life coaches. And they also will do that kind of work. Some people need help with their nutrition as they get older. Some people need help with their physical mm-hmm. fitness as they get older. So there's, there are coaches for everything. There is, isn't there? Yeah, there sure are. Okay, I've, I've got one more question here. If Let's just bring this together and say, after listening to this, okay, Elizabeth, this is great. I am going to be working longer. What are the three things, maybe the top three things I should be doing to make sure that this is successful next 10 years? If I'm 65, I want to do it to 75. Are there three things you would recommend people would start working on? Well, if you haven't already started thinking about your health, you better start there. So health really comes right. first. Um, family 
family issues, you, you, you probably want to get squared away with your family and, um, and your finance. I guess finances would be the third area. Mm-hmm. Though, you know, again, those are the big topics. And uh, what about as it relates directly to work? Like if I'm in a job yeah. and, and, and they've said, hey, and you can stay another 10 years if you want. That's great, but I should, should. Are there certain things in my job I should be thinking? I I need to get more computer literate. I need to start getting better interaction with those thirty years younger than me. How do I? Would that be something to think about? I I don't know that you would suddenly wake up one day and say I need to start improving my mm-hmm. computer skills or my uh, interpersonal skills because if you don't have if you haven't had them up till now. You're probably not in very <laughs> Might good. Might be a tall task. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But you may want to talk to the human resources professional manager, whoever. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, unless you're self-employed. I mean, we're, we're talking about people who work for big companies where right. there is where there is an HR mm-hmm. specialist, and you you might want to know what what programs and policies are in place within your company. Uh, so that if you decided to, um, a lot of people want to continue full time, but if you decided to cut back on your time, or if you wanted to work remotely, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if, if your circumstances changed and you became a care, a caregiver, uh, does your company have a policy and a program in place that, uh, a lot of, a lot of companies got in, got into understand, they, they, began to understand that they needed to provide what we'll call wellness programs, and they'll even help pay for gym membership, for example, uh, because they made the connection between keeping their employees healthy and productivity. Right. So that, that's like, duh. <laughs> but they, they haven't done as well with the... Um, the other aspects that have to do with financial planning and so on. People used to be able to get a big pension if they stayed a long time on the job and they were paying in and the company was paying in, but that arrangement, that defined benefit has gone away from in most cases. And there's a lot more uh, emphasis now on the individual providing his or her own you know, your own 401k. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that there's a financial piece to this uh, that you obviously need to think about uh, as well as, as I said before, the, the, the health factor. Do you have, uh, do you, can, can you expect to be healthy for the next 10 years as well as uh, financially mm-hmm. secure? Oh, this has been great. I know we're out of time. I, I sure appreciate our interview today, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you very much. Is, I'm delighted to talk about my favorite topic. <laughs> this has been Elizabeth Fideller, and her new book is called Aging, Work, and Retirement. Elizabeth, where can we find the book now? If I Well, if you, you can get it from Amazon. Okay. That's the easiest for most people. You can go to uh, the... The press has a website. It's R-O-W-M-A-N, Roman.com. Okay. And if you go to Roman.com, you can put my name in, which is spelled with a capital F-I-D-E-L-E-R, Fideller. And then the books, the, the books will come.
come up and you can order from there. Local pop-up. Well, that sounds great. Well, thank you again, Elizabeth. I appreciate that. And uh, enjoy your day. Thank you so much, Ian. Enjoy it. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Your Longest Life with Ian Thompson. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and share it with others. For more info, articles, and to get in touch with Ian, visit yourlongestlife.com.